This is Blind Like Me. Hello, everyone. Interviews, information, and reviews related to living with a vision disability. Your host is Tim Black. Tim has been visually impaired since birth. He's been in radio for 30 years and also hosts the podcast Inside Today's Country. Tim has never let his lack of vision stand in his way. Well, hi there, and welcome to another edition of Blind Like Me. We hope you've had a fantastic week and you're still making it through all this crazy COVID-19 stuff that is going on in our world right now. Thanks for listening to the podcast wherever you find us. And of course, if you haven't hit like or subscribe yet, we certainly recommend you do so you don't miss out on anything that's coming up here on Blind Like Me. As well, if you have a story a comment, or a question, I'd love to hear from you. You can drop me an email to blindlikeme at outlook.com. That's blindlikeme at outlook.com, and we'll reply to you, and we'd love to hear from you. Well, we continue our series on finding out people's stories. And this week, I connect with a friend of mine by the name of Dale Nolan. Now, Dale has a daughter who is totally blind, but I never knew their entire story. So I thought I would reach out to Dale and find out what life was like having a totally blind daughter in a small town in Saskatchewan. Dale Nolan joins us via Zoom on the podcast. Hi, Dale. Well, thanks, Tim. Uh, Thanks for having me. And I think back to when we first met uh, was... 15 years ago or so and wow. you were doing ag days and i came in for ag days and you had been in brandon not too long and i used to sit and listen to you on the radio on my tractor and i walked into ag days and here's <laughs> tim black sitting yeah, there, and I, there you go you're like oh that guy has nothing he knows nothing about ag days <laughs> <laughs> he knows nothing about farming but he's here so i'm yeah talk he's to him. <laughs> not he, he, he grew up on the west coast of vancouver island he knows what water is doesn't know a thing about ag but i've learned over the <laughs> over the many many years well yeah it, it, I mean, it's hard to believe it's been uh, it's been 15 years and once we got to know each other a little bit we found out that you have a daughter who is blind that's correct all right well tell me a little bit about megan um and and her condition and and then we'll kind of move on from there well megan um who is now about uh, she's 35 um was born prematurely um back in the day uh at uh 28 weeks and um uh, I think 2.6 pounds and something like that and 14 inches long and spent a significant amount of time in the NICU in Winnipeg um, just overcoming a lot of the things that premature babies have to overcome, mm-hmm. which is, has a lot to do with breathing and um, those kinds of things. So, And uh, and just before we brought her home, 100 days later, we uh, the last thing they do is have the ophthalmologist come in and check her eyes uh, to, because obviously she's been exposed to lots of oxygen over a period of time and that t- tends to damage retinas. Mm-hmm. And so just before we were ready to take her home, we discovered that today she had lost most of her vision uh, during that time. And um, so they did a few things to try to prevent the retinas from detaching. But uh, at the end of the day, we we took her home after all the things she'd been through and uh, and realized she was going to be blind for the rest of her life. That's got to be a big change for the family situation. Not only have you got yourself a uh, baby who is premature, but now life has changed and you have a blind child. Absolutely. And it was, uh, it was an interesting time because we had been through so much in that three or four month period. And we had seen so much being at the hospital almost every day. Mm-hmm. And all the all the children who come through, um, you know, the NICU who have a, a variety of issues and problems, and a lot of them who didn't make it, 
Mm -hmm. uh, and of course went through um, quite a roller coaster ride with, with Megan, with her, you know, they, they have a book called a premature baby book that, that was written by a nurse that you can kind of follow along every situation or every, everything that a, a baby develops. And every time she would get over one thing, we would tick off another box and say, okay, we got past that one. Now what's next? And there was there were a number of serious events that she had that could have been life or death and 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 ironically when we brought her home you know after being through all that we said you know we're thankful she's only blind right and then people would look at us sometimes like we were strange <laughs> <laughs> but you know we had we had seen kids come up with severe you know cerebral palsy with all kinds of things and really you know Megan came out of it um, quite unscathed except for losing her vision so. Mm -hmm. You know, we and so by then you have a different perspective. And we we had, we had a, the opportunity to meet with some really good professionals, a couple of doctors who basically, you know, took the position that take her home, you know, treat her like any other child, uh, do the things you need to adapt to connect her to the world that we live in, which mm -hmm. is a, really a visual world. Bridge those gaps for her, mm -hmm. and you'll be surprised at how well. She'll, she'll come out of this and and of course he also mentioned technology and where we were we were headed with technology and that you know within 20 or 30 years there's going to be so much technology that will enable blind um and, and low vision people to function better in society mm -hmm. and so um we kind of said okay yeah that sounds like a plan so we that's what we did so you pretty much raised her as a blind child but in a sighted world then absolutely yeah we certainly did and um Fortunately, my wife uh, did have a background in special education, mm -hmm. uh, had worked with lots of different children with different levels of handicaps uh, and disabilities, uh, physical and, and mental and so on. So had a, a bit of an insight into, you know, it's always different child to child, but a bit of an insight into what things needed to be done to kind of bridge that gap, mm -hmm. especially in those early years, because as we as we as we know when we raise children and we we learn about child development at that age from zero to six is so critical you know children are just like sponges at that age and right. they uh, what we teach them they learn so fast and and that stays with them for the rest of their lives so walk me through what what it was like for you guys to adapt your your entire world well yeah you know it started with of course uh, adapting everything to the house because of course she couldn't she had to feel her way around and and um you know, it started with when she was a toddler or when she was just learning to walk and so on. And I would quite often come back from work or come home at night and there'd be pots and pans all over the, the kitchen room, you know, <laughs> kitchen floor. She pulled everything out of the cupboards and was, was, and even then she started showing signs of being musical when she would get wooden spoons and, and bang them on pots. And, and it, because it was important for her to experience everything in a tactile way or using her hands to feel everything. So we started that right from, from that age. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, everything we did in the house, everything we, we set up was adapted for touch as opposed to vision. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, as you get through the, the younger years and the toddler years, as always, it's a challenge for everybody. But we move into the age where now you're starting to look at, you know, more play dates. You're looking at um, preschool, elementary school. What were, what were you guys thinking back then? Well, the thought of her going into the school system was uh, somewhat terrifying to me. <laughs> To be honest, I, I guess just going into an area that was unknown and and not 
and there hadn't been any blind children go through our elementary school. We were in a small town in Saskatchewan of about a thousand people, and uh, they'd never had a blind student. And but fortunately, um, the Saskatchewan Department of Education uh, was very, very proactive. They had a teacher who taught at a school in a rural area outside of uh, Regina who had um, had a blind student come through her system and had gotten a number of adaptations uh, from the Department of Education and um, working along with CNIB uh, to teach mobility, uh, but just, just bringing in every, and you know, the school division and the Department of Education was great at the time for, for having all the technology that we needed, mm-hmm. um, the, all the resources. So, you know, it started with kindergarten, she went to kindergarten and, and she had O&M instructors come out. She had, and then we were fortunate that the special ed teacher, even though my wife taught special ed for a while after she had Megan and then our son, um, another teacher came in who had a special ed background. So she took over the special ed program. And because we knew Megan would be part of that, but Mm -hmm. uh, so she took it upon herself to learn a lot of things that she needed to know to teach a blind child. But for the most part, Megan was mainstreamed into the system in the, in in the school system. They had a lot of success in Saskatchewan doing that, not just pulling them out of the room and putting them into their own little room all the time. They mainstreamed them into the classroom with all the subjects, Mm -hmm. sometimes with an aid, sometimes not with an aid. Mm-hmm. And then when it was time for the chil- other children to do reading and writing, that's when she would come out of the classroom and she would, that's when she learned Braille. So they would take her into a specialized room and, that, and, and she started to learn Braille at a very young age, probably in kindergarten or grade one. Mm-hmm. And by the time she was in grade two or three, she was um, a very fluent Braille reader. Did you ever learn Braille so, yourself? I tried. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we try to do it visually, yeah. you know, which really doesn't work very well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but people can learn it. And it's just, I found it just confusing. What was the biggest, one of the biggest challenges for you guys with a blind daughter? Um, I would, I would say, you know, some people might say, you know, the education and that kind of thing for us, that was really good. I, I think just for a lot of people, it's, it's getting over the emotional side of it. And to some extent you feel stigmatized a little bit, uh, you know, uh, and I think getting used to that situation where you're, you could become more and more comfortable going out and doing things in public and just, it, you know, it, maybe it was more difficult for me than it was for my wife, but I think everybody goes through that to some extent. What kind of support did you guys have? Quite good. I mean, again, it, most of it was focused around, you know, the educational side of things. We did have a program out of the next community. It was kind of a regional program where they would do um, things with her that weren't education oriented as far as kind of think about mobility, you know, not necessarily mobility, but but more just support for the parents, that, especially in, in the early years. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think they were always very supportive, you know, it, it, for the most part, we she grew up in a very supportive environment and and i think you know as much as i say that was difficult for us it really wasn't right. the end of the world uh it wasn't that that hard um we had a lot of good support from family and friends you had both grandparents who, who lived in town um, mm-hmm. i think the, 
I think the probably the biggest fear initially was just watching her cane to school four blocks by herself and having to go across the busiest street in town. Oh, uh, must have given you a heart and, attack. Well, you know, it, yeah, initially, but, you know, she had a very good O&M instructor and, you know, everybody kind of watched for her. I think the grandparents freaked out more than we did a lot of that after a while, but, <laughs> you know, like grandmothers are. But, yeah. you know, it was... Um, it, it was quite, th- you know, we lived about four blocks of school and it was quite interesting to watch her just take off in the morning with her backpack and way she would go. And, yeah. and you know, once in a while she'd get lost and then somebody would get her back on track. And, and, you know, after a while, it was just a normal thing to see her come and go from school. That's awesome. I know Megan. Uh, she is very, very musical. Um, when did that part of her life kind of start? Very young age, actually. She, um, you know, she has a grandfather who's very musical, had a, had his own band and plays by ear. The whole family is very musical. Um, and my mother played piano, uh, tried to teach me, didn't go very well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, she at a, at a very young age, I think she started taking piano lessons when she was five. Um, we actually had a, <clears throat> a girl come in um, to function as a nanny when Nigel was about one or two and Megan was about four or five and she, she was a nanny for us for a year because we were both crazy busy and she is very from a very musical family and in fact there used to be a group around the brand and and called the Alec Fraser combo and uh Alec is still alive I think he lives up at, uh, at the lake and this was his daughter who was a very musical girl so she started playing around the piano with Megan mm-hmm. then next thing you know she's taking lessons and and then regular lessons and then and music festivals came along and she'd go into music festivals and she would do like 20 or 25 things in music festival from piano to organ uh, she played the flute in the band um she did voice as well and then her and another girl did musical theater what's some of the challenges that uh, that she still continues to have that she tells her dad hey dad i'm still having these challenges in life nowadays again when it comes to music it's been you know she you know she did end up uh taking post-secondary education ended up with a degree in music and uh, you know it's always come very natural to her um i think that the challenge is in so, I mean, from, from a work point of view, obviously, she's been able to get employment in those areas. But I think when it comes to other types of employment that, that's not in the area of music, it's it's a challenge like it is for most visually impaired people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, jobs are good, good, you know, good quality jobs are challenging to find. Um, finding something you're interested in that you can actually do. It's getting better and better with technology, but... Um, I, I think it's that's still a challenge for a lot of people who are visually impaired. Do you think the organizations that help out the visually impaired um, need to step in more? I think so. I mean, and I don't know that that is as much of a focus as it should be. It seems like we have a big push in Manitoba and different provinces for strong employment for people with lots of disabilities, but it seems like sometimes the visually impaired are left out of that that scope mm-hmm. and i've always wondered why um you know i think and as you know tim you've you've been visually impaired all your life and, mm-hmm. and sometimes when you do have some vision or you you do learn to function relatively well the people say oh we don't have to worry about him he's fine yep. you know <laughs> on the side of of employment um yes we are uh, you know, 
really advocating for people with disabilities to get jobs, you're 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 on point with the fact that those who are visually impaired and blind are still sitting at a high percentage that are unemployed. For sure, and um, yeah, and I don't know, you know, I I don't. Sometimes you don't know the inner workings of any organization because you don't you're not there every day. You you mm-hmm. don't you're not on their boards or their management to see exactly what you know what they're doing. But I've always felt that maybe the largest visually impaired organization here uh, is too focused on dealing with people who have lost their vision at an older age. It's, it's very important because it, it's very difficult for a lot of people in older ages who, who do lose their sight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think that's, a, you know, that's a big portion of their clientele. But sometimes I think that um, the young adults and to some extent, the children get get lost in in that. It really it really depends. I mean, and yet when Megan entered university, she had a tremendous amount of support to get her to adapt to technology and everything else. It just seemed when it comes to employment and jobs, there's this big vacuum there. And mm-hmm. and and, and, I, and I I think it, it I think it means teaming up with other institutions and organizations. And I, I think maybe that's what's you know, what's lacking sometimes. If you could give uh, a piece of advice to a young family that has now found out that their child is, you know, coming home from the hospital with a either no sight or low sight, what piece of advice would you pass on to that young couple? I guess a, a few, you know, two or three things. N- number one, the human mind and 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 a, and a small child ha, has a tremendous ability to adapt to the lack of vision. Um, you know, our, our, our brains are like sponges at those ages. And, you know, Megan's, her, her hearing ability, her tactile ability, all those kinds of things that some of us, you know, hear things and we don't even know what we've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, those were so sensitive on her um, and still are the body adapts and so just because you have one and i used to say to her you know you're not you know everyone has some kind of disability in in my you know i used to say this here all the time Mm -hmm. that that some of us don't hear very well some of us don't pay attention very well some of us in society are so shy that we have a hard time functioning in a with a lot of people you know everybody's got something i've always said that we all have disabilities those who are visually impaired or blind people could just see it and we live in a world that's been built around vision and if none of us could see we would still have a world we would just function totally different Mm -hmm. but if we didn't have vision Mm -hmm. have another method right uh and and we we all would have adapted so the tremendous ability to adapt and we saw that from her and you know you but as parents, you have to advocate. You have to make sure the resources are there. Yeah, if they're not there, you have to start knocking down doors to make sure they are there because, you know, they should be there. We do we do all kinds of things in today's world to make things adaptable for various people with you know disabilities, and we should. And so, if you're not getting those types of services, um, then you need to just demand them and, and expect them. Um, and, and that's the second thing. You become the advocate for the child a lot of the time, especially coming to the school system. And um, have expectations, but don't have unrealistic expectations. I mean, we were fortunate with Megan that she ended up being 
highly academic, highly musical, you know, all those things, which, you know, I think her memory was, was just drastically improved because she didn't have vision. Right. She had to remember everything and she did from a young age. So, you know, and, um, yeah, I mean, it, at the end of the day, I look back at, you know, the first 25 years of raising her once she finished university. It was the most interesting journey uh, of, of my life, I think, that I'll ever, um, you know, that, that I'll ever experience. I've done a lot of different things in my life. But when I think back to that, it was a journey that we were all on together to teach her and train her and love her and, and raise her just like any other child and um you know it, it, most people don't get to experience all those challenges and at the end of the day those challenges bring a lot of rewards and uh, so uh, and it, it's really you know no matter what your child ends up doing in their adult life it's 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 a pretty big accomplishment to to help them along that that way and uh, like it would for any anybody with with challenges in their life. That's what I would say. Yeah, it's, it was it was quite the journey. It really was. Excellent. Dale, thanks very much for spending some time with us. Really appreciate uh, your insight to uh, the life with uh, your blind daughter and all the best and all the success uh, for Megan. Make sure you pass on a hello for me. All right, Tim. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Blind Like Me. If you have a comment or a suggestion about future casts, drop us an email to blindlikeme at outlook.com. Blind Like Me is a timblackonair.com production.